Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. Again, we'll have a couple of our business tips from the Harvard Business Review. Christina Sikiades is going to have a chat about our Chief Creative and Innovation Officer. But right now we're going to talk with John Woodward again about the Alternative Dispute Resolution. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Julian. And uh, a few weeks ago, we were uh, talking about the Alternative Dispute Resolution and uh, the acronym DSR, or ADR, I should say. And we talked about mediation and other mechanisms there. We're going to take that a bit further today, and uh, I'll open it up to you. Thanks, Julian. Um, Yes, I I thought that today it would be good if we um, spoke a bit about um, the way into it, or take things on a bit further than, than, than what we spoke last week and and, um, and just explain that that um, people don't need to wait until their dispute becomes so embittered that they've, they've, uh, someone goes to court um, mm. there, there are some, some some proactive things that business people can do to try to control um, the way in which um, dispute resolution can be managed and um, one of the ways that that can be done is by incorporating um, dispute resolution uh, clauses into um, service contracts in in a way that um, at the beginning of the relationship when the sky is blue and the grass is green and everybody's expecting the project to be a a great success, um, it's a good time for people to be thinking about um, how they would manage a dispute should it arise down mm. the track during the course of the, the project. And um, uh, and that's what uh, what I'm recommending is that is that people give that some thought at that stage and, and they seek uh, legal advice about it and, and uh, inquire uh, with their contract drafters about including that sort of a, a, a clause in their agreement. Um, the... the Result of it is that, that if you do get um, a dispute along the way, um, then um, you just need to look at the contract and say, well, well how are we going to fix this up? And, mm. and, and, then, and then off you go. It, mm. it, it's, it saves um, some of the hassle about going to court. What, what um, about uh, there's some examples of technical cases there, isn't there? Well, well there are, and, 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 and um, that brings me to the point about the type of... Um, conflict resolution mechanism that you might want to put in place. Um, you know, I talk a lot about mediation because I'm a mediator and that, that tends to be the focus of my attention. But, mm. um, you know, there is some, that's not always the solution to the problem. There are some technical cases. Building cases are a good example, but there are some cases where, where uh, if you've got um, contracts requiring supply of highly technical equipment or um, demanding specifications, a more appropriate uh, mechanism might be to agree in advance that if, if you have a dispute, then you subject it to the expert determination of a professional person in that field and agree in advance that, that, that you will accept the decision of that person. That can be a very, very efficient and, and uh, quick way to, to get the matter resolved. You just agree on an expert in advance, and, and if there's a problem, then that's the way it gets fixed. Now, you know, there are other types of situations. Um, uh, where where uh, people um, can have a, an escalating uh, type of arrangement in place, where they agree, for example, that if um, you know we'll try mediation, and if that doesn't work um, or it doesn't resolve all of the issues, 
then we'll move up to the next step. We'll, we, we'll have a, a, an arbitration, mm. which is a binding determination by a certain by, by, by people, okay. by, by, usually by an arbitrator. So, um, so there, there's any in, there's, there's a lot of room for flexibility in it, and that's one of the great um, benefits of this of this type of approach to dispute resolution. Yeah, um, these things have. have um, uh, you know, have have had their critics over time. Some people say, "Well, what if we can't agree?" A lot of the a lot of the problems um, stem from the fact that that that, that there's emotion involved at, at around um, disputes, and and um, what what uh, dispute resolution practitioners try to do is to, is to separate the emotions from the problem and get people, uh, you know, focusing on on how to get how to sort the problem out from a collaborative point of view. You know, if you look at this thing as a as a, as a problem-based um, matter that needs to... Uh, we need to get the problem resolved rather than to be winning or, or um, you know, trying to save face by not losing, mm. um, you, you, you get... Um, you generally speaking get a, a, much, a much clearer... brings a much clearer mind to the problem. Which is why it's important to have this in the place at the beginning and when things start to go wrong, you resolve it then rather than the emotion getting to the stage where people have got a safe face. That's that's absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, there, there will always be some disputes where the parties are so intractably entrenched in their positions that, that, that these sorts of remedies I won't would. be appropriate. The, the courts will always be there and will always have a role to... to Try to, to, to you know um, impose binding solutions on people where they're not able to deal with matters themselves. But for business people, particularly, and I think one of the, the good mm. news stories out of all this is that if this kind of approach to dispute resolution generally tends, in my experience anyway, to be more successful um, where business people are mm. concerned, mm. and that that makes sense because business people um, are usually, um, they, you know, they're doing business, they want to get on with life, they don't want to have their business tainted with uh, the delay and inconvenience and so on of litigation, they don't, they don't want the publicity attached, so they, they mm. go to some privately arranged, um, you know, dispute resolution process where they can get the problem resolved and move on and you know, keep doing business, do what they're good at rather than to be, you know, spending their lives tied up with lawyers and courts and so on. We, we mentioned that obviously one of the biggest advantage, as you say, particularly to business people, is the saving of the cost and the time. How long does a, does a mediation session actually take? Is it uh, days sometimes or is it... Well, uh, uh, again, it, it can be sort of a case of how long is a piece of string. Yeah. It depends on, on the complexity um, of the problem, the number of people involved in it, and um, and, and, and a lot of other things. And but a, a mediation, to give you some idea, a mediation can be resolved from start to finish in a few days. Okay. Yeah. If you have a problem on Monday, you if you were serious and the other party is serious about getting it resolved, um, you can uh, get a mediator organised, um, get the material to him, get the arrangements in place. Um, and have the whole thing resolved in, in, a, in a few days, or at the very most, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of problem might take 12 months to be resolved um, through the, 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 uh, the court system. Yeah. And, of course, and, of course, waiting for a court date waiting in, in for itself. Court dates yeah. and, and, um, and, and all the, the preparation that goes into um, the getting, um, you know, the, the court procedures in place, yeah. affidavits done, barristers briefed, um, you know, yeah. court appearances and so on, and yeah. and um, 
um, those uh, those things can be all avoided if 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 people think about their their um, professional relationships and their their contractual relationships and so on in advance of these problems happening when they've got a clear mind and they can see how they want their projects to be completed and be realistic enough to understand that sometimes you do get disputes with the best will in the world and things don't always go as people plan. Mm. And, um, yeah. Well, thanks very much for your time again, John, and uh, right. have a good Christmas and New Year, and we'll chat you with too, you again and, in the uh, New happy Year. Happy Christmas to all your listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Julian. Bye now. John Woodward there from Hunter Mediation Services. Yeah, obviously a, a least expensive and less cost time um, way of resolving some of our differences. You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. It's coming up to 24 minutes past one. Time to pop over to Christina Sikiadis. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Yourself? Pretty good. Thank you very much. So, so we were talking off air earlier about a number of organisations are now employing chief creativity and innovation officers. Well, that would be my description for it, Julian. They're, most organisations are, are employing um, chief innovation officers. And when I was having a think about it and a, and a read through, you know, several articles, and I've been reading several articles on creativity, etc. Um, but I'm thinking, well, perhaps a more apt title would be a chief creativity and innovation officer. And I actually had a bit of fun writing a job description for this position mm. um, that I'd like to share with you and your okay. listeners. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I believe, um, and we're not saying that all organisations don't have any of these factors either, Julian, but I think it's imperative that in order to, to move forward and be productive and have an organisational culture that fosters creativity and innovation, we actually need to nail vision, values, mission statements. And that, that's asking organisations why they do what they do, what is it that they do, Um, Who do they want to work with? But it also means drilling down. So it's not just saying that we produce quality work or we we want good customer relationships or we have good customer relationships. It's about how you do it. So you need to drill right down, um, for me, in a vision and value and mission statement to go, well, if it's going to be lip service, it's lip service. But if it's Mm. real, how does that actually happen? Mm. Um, The second imperative that I would have on that list would be somebody with the ability to schedule time to read or think um, to read and think about other industries, to open minds up to different different opportunities. Read newsletters, read books, listen to TED Talks, get ideas from outside of industry. Um, the third thing I think I would make imperative is the ability to hold short, sharp meetings. So I think most people in organisations are over the, the half-hour mm. meeting or the hour meeting that kind of sits there and doesn't the operational report. But how do we have a quick, sharp meeting where people's brains then turn into quick, sharp thinkers? Um, The fourth thing, I would have a process for encouraging ideas. So create a safe platform, as we've spoken many times about, dispel the fear of failure. Um, My point five would be uh, somebody with the skills to encourage collaboration within the organisation and without. So some organisations quite large organisations, their internal networks don't collaborate and they don't, there's not enough crossover in many of them. Some of them do it brilliantly. You know, this, mm. we're not making sweeping statements here. Um, but there's opportunities within organisations to cross-collaborate and to, to get organisations, different sections, different silos of those organisations to collaborate and then collaborate with organisations without of your, you know, without the scope of your own organisation. Um, I would quite, I would have Emotional intelligence is high up on the on the um, 
on the requirement factor. Uh, there's a lot of research coming out now to say that emotional intelligence is imperative to a well-run organisation and that if you're not empathic to, to the work stuff and if you're not empathic um, to other organisations that you want to collaborate with, you're missing lots of opportunities. Um, I'd like somebody who would develop the process um, to encourage and ensure that innovation is part of that organisational culture and develop a process to fund research and development within the organisation because without that... You, you're, not, you're very limited in what you can um, then put yeah. forward. Yeah. And I think ultimately if they were connectors, they delivered good leadership, they delivered networking opportunities and they de delivered opportunity for design thinking, I think we'd have a perfect candidate. Uh, I think that person should be the CEO too. <laughs> well, you know, they, they say that everything happens from the head down. Exactly so if the right. CEO had those opportunities, yeah, that would be fantastic. Right. Well, thanks for your time, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Gillian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina Sikiat is there with her idea of the ideal Chief Creativity and Innovation Officer. And as I say, I think he should be the CEO. And time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. First one, looking at uh, that mentoring we were talking about just now, mediation, rebuild a work relationship that's gone sour. If you haven't been getting along with someone at work, there are ways you can repair the relationship. First, ask yourself what's happening so you know what needs work. Are you having trouble communicating? Are you failing to see eye to eye on things? Give up being right and resist your tendency to analyse every detail of what's happened in your relationship. That's not productive. Instead, look forward and reflect on what you want from the relationship. Try to see the other person's perspective. When you're ready to approach him or her, make it a neutral ground. Go out for lunch or coffee rather than asking to meet at one of your desks. Don't debate what went wrong or who is at fault. Focus on the bigger picture on a common goal that you share. But don't expect the relationship to change overnight. It takes time to re-establish trust and reciprocity. That's an interesting comments there, isn't it? Because uh, we do sometimes have some of those relationships going sour. And uh, we've just been talking about creativity. Well, here's another one. Get creative the next time boredom strikes. Studies show, suggest that boredom can actually help you get your work, at least your creative work, done better. Boredom felt during passive activities like reading reports or attending tedious meetings heightens the daydreaming effect on the creative on creativity and motivates people to approach new and rewarding activities. So the next time you need to dream up new ideas, start by spending some time on humdrum activities such as answering emails, making copies or entering data. Afterward, you may be better able to think up more and more creative possibilities to explore. Likewise, if you need to closely examine a problem and produce a solution, schedule that task after a routine staff meeting. By engaging in less interesting activities before problem-solving ones, you may be able to elicit the type of thinking needed to find creative solutions. There's a way of getting rid of some of those boring activities and start daydreaming. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the alternative dispute resolution and the way we can overcome some of those issues. 
In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to look at the ins and outs of retirement villages with Paul Boland from East Coast Law. We'll also have our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis and look at some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Henry Longfellow once said, all things must change to something new, to something strange.